0: This episode is sponsored by Darktrace, the world's leading AI company for cyber defense and creator of autonomous response technology. From subtle insider threats to machine-speed ransomware, cyber attacks will inflict more than $1 trillion in damages during this year alone, wreaking havoc before security teams have time to investigate. By using artificial intelligence, Darktrace learns while on the job to distinguish friend from foe, and when it senses an attack, the AI fights back against the bad guys within two seconds. It's time to supercharge your security stack. Start a free trial at www.darktrace.com trial.
1: Hi, this is Sean Gallagher, IT editor at Ars Technica, and welcome to our three-part podcast miniseries on artificial intelligence. Machine learning and artificial intelligence are working their way into nearly every aspect of our lives, whether we're aware of them or not. That's because these technologies are doing things with data that humans never could. Advanced analytics are just one example of that, turning massive volumes of data into insights human analysts might miss, and doing it in some cases in near real time. And one place where AI analytics are becoming increasingly visible to us is in one of the most measured of human endeavors, sports. In sports, the applications for this, for for machine learning and AI, are, are massive. You can't watch a professional sporting event anymore without some sort of data enhancement at play. From the virtual lines drawn on a football field to show the line of scrimmage and first down markers, to Major League Baseball's stat casts predicting the probability of successful base stealing, AI has become part of how we consume sports. One of the earliest adopters of live AI analytics is the Tour de France, the iconic annual 21-stage cycling race. Data collected from each cyclist's bike is processed in real-time by NTT's Big Data Truck, a mobile AI-driven data center that travels with the Tour each year. Lee Hutchison and I spoke with Tim Wade, the Senior Director of Global Advanced Technology for Sport at NTT about how AI has changed the experience of cycling fans. So now joining us is Tim Wade, he's a Vice President at NTT's Advanced Technology Group focusing on sport. Thanks for joining us Tim. Yeah, hi Sean,
2: thanks for, for having me.
1: So. We spoke a little bit earlier this year, and I wanted to reel back that a bit and talk to you about how NTT got involved with the Tour de France. Back
2: in 2014, they, they contacted us looking to see if we'd be interested in being a technology partner for them. We were looking you know, to see how we could make the experience for fans better when watching the sports. I mean, if you look at cycling, prior to us getting involved um, it was very difficult to actually understand what was going on. I mean, you would basically see the director's cut, of, you know, the director's story of, of what he would like you to see. So our vision and goal was to, to enhance that storytelling capability and, and to get more people interested in, in cycling as well, you know, sort of expand the reach for, for the ASL.
1: So that involved tracking data from each of the bikes as the, uh, as the races proceeded? Yeah, it did. Um,
2: so I was part of the, the initial team that we had to set this up, and we kind of signed a, a statement of work with them, you know, around about March time to deliver live tracking on each of the riders, um, and also then some basic analytical capability and integration into broadcast. What that actually meant practically is that we developed and designed hardware that would take GPS coordinates, so latitude. I mean, we get three elements of data from each cycle, so each bike like, you know, every second, and that's latitude, longitude, and speed. And we then sent that data back to the end of the race, um, where we could then analyze it. So at that point, we had an analytics platform and a capability at the end of the race in a truck, and and I can tell you, having a mobile data center like that, which moved (laughs) three and a half thousand kilometers through the month of July was a whole world of fun.
1: (laughs) That seems like uh, a really insane logistical operation, just from the standpoint of moving around your your IT infrastructure. How did you keep track of all the riders? Given, I mean, there's there's portions of the Tour de France that go through mountains and things like that. I'm sure there were some challenges with connectivity. Well, yeah, and, and, and the, you know the main the main challenge, as you say, is three and a
2: half thousand kilometers that the Tour de France roughly travels every every July is through very different terrain, you know, it can be up at the top of the mountain, it can be in a major city, it can be in rural France, you know, and, and there's various different levels of, of mobile connectivity there. So the way that we actually address that is we, we piggyback on the video broadcast transmission network. Um, so the data that comes off the, uh, the bicycle is sent to an aeroplane. Which is the same aeroplane where the video transmission, you know, so there's, there's sort of six or seven motorcycles that are riding around in the race and they transmit their video to that aeroplane and it's sent to the end of the race by a microwave. So we've removed that element of, of there being a requirement for any external networking, you know, outside of the race to, to help us transmit that data back to where we need it. And once we get to, um, to the end of the race, it's then quite a simple operation to get data back to where we need it to. Um, the, the reason that's so simple is because, you know, one of the other partners of So is Orange, who is, uh, you know, a, a connectivity telco, or a telco partner, and they provide fiber connectivity to the technical zone at the end of each stage, which is in itself a pretty remarkable undertaking.
1: So how is the the data that you consume out of this, how has it evolved over the past few races in terms of, how you're applying technology to do analytics. And, and could you explain, while talking about that, how you define AI in this case or machine learning, what, what types of technology you're applying to this?
0: I was going to say before you answer this, this sounds like what a few years ago we might call a big data story. But uh, you know I know that the, the preferred terms are sort of in shift right now.
2: Yeah, I mean, look, so we we get, I think we we did a rough estimation last year, and it was over 3 billion data points that we get over the, the period of July, which it, it makes, it comes from those, you know, those three small pieces of data evolve out into that. Now, year one was, was proving out the technology, making sure it worked, it was data capture, it was analytics. And then, you know, three years ago, we then started to play around with machine learning. So, predictive analytics, basically. But I wouldn't say we were, we've were ever dabbled with full-on AI, but machine learning, that predictive analytics is where we've been playing for the last three years. Um, and some of the things that we've done, I mean, what we started out doing with that is we thought, okay, so we've, we've got this data, we've got these data sets, we've, we understand, you know, other things like we understand what the stage profiles going to look like. We understand what the teams, how they're performing, how people are performing in those teams. Um, and, and from those elements, we were then able to profile each of the riders to understand, you know, where are their strengths and weaknesses? What are they good at? What aren't they good at? You know, how well do they work together as a team? Um, and we, we profiled them all. And then we, did, we were able from those profiles to then start building up machine, you know, machine learning models that enabled us to make predictions. So, yeah, so we did the, um, the, stage favorites. We had, um, the, something, you know, general classification favorites. So who do we think was going to, um, kind of win the actual race itself was one of the things we brought in this year. Catch the break, for example. So, you know, during a stage, there'll be a breakaway where a small group of riders will try and get away from the main peloton to see if they can win. And then we would predict whether we thought they were going to get caught or not. And that would be, um, you know, a model that would then be run every, you know, it would be run live, basically throughout the stage, um, and then we've, we've we've broadened that out this year. Within NTT, we've we, we kind of you know we've got a, we're, we're over forty thousand people now. now that the, the twenty eight companies have come together in the group, um, and there's quite a lot of untapped knowledge and resources out there within the organisation that we don't know about. So a few years ago, we run um, we ran a a, a competition sort of a hackfest kind of competition. And we asked the people within the organization whether they could, you know, what what ideas have you got? If, if this was your project, how would you help tell the story? What do you think would be cool? Um, and a few things came back, and one of the things that we brought in this year was called Laboz And basically what Laboz was, it was a machine learning model, um, and it was... Sort of looking at the movement within the peloton for abnormalities, and then we basically get a ping to the ping. We think something's going to happen in a minute, and then something would either happen or it wouldn't happen. And, and most of the time, it was right, and something did happen. Now, whether that be a crash or you know somebody attacking, or you know it, it could have been anything. So that was quite an interesting model that we we applied this year. But yeah, I mean, there's there's quite a few different things, and, and I, I suppose it's all been. You know, it all stems back from having that clean data set right at the very beginning. Because once you get that, then you can build and iterate and iterate. And, you know, some of these models that we've got are in there for the year now. So we've iterated and
0: iterated. But it's, it's been a really interesting, interesting journey. The fascinating thing for me, playing the role of dumb journalist here, is watching how algorithms like this have predictive successes even though you as the operator may not necessarily be completely aware of all of the different items, the different factors that the algorithm is keying off of, because, you know, that is, in fact, the nature of machine learning. I mean, as you look at at the pelotons and the groups, and when you look at how effective the algorithm is at predicting, you know, results, are you able to divine anything, any clue about what specifically the machine learning is keying off of, or is it all just sort of a spooky black box to you? <laughs> um, you know, I'm going I'm just gonna say it's a spooky black box. <laughs> um,
2: but, but what I will say is, it's, I also agree. I mean, we, we can train it. You, you can't. Sports in, inherently unpredictable. You know, you can't predict everything. And you know, whilst you'll you'll have a series of quantifiable elements in in sports which is, you know, the same in any, any sport, a, a series of interviable elements, you can't take into consideration everything. Um, and we've, we, we've noticed that last year, we, you know, for, for stage favorites, for example, we were having around this 70% accuracy rate, which, you know, is, is really, really good. Um, but this year is a little bit worse. But then if you look, you know, it wasn't quite as accurate this year, but if you look at the difference between the actual race last year and this year, this year has been to be, you know, one of the, the best Tour de France because it's so unpredictable. And they created it in a way that they wanted it to be unpredictable, which, of course, means the models that we've created have to work, you know, aren't quite as suited because of the unpredictability. Um, so, yeah, I mean, it, it's 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 interesting. And, I'm, and I, you know, I, I look at the, the developers in our team creating these models and I, I can't quite wrap my head around it sometimes. But um, it, it's fascinating as
1: well to, to watch. So, the technology you developed around Twitter France, is there any other sport realm where you're applying this sort of data collection and uh, machine learning based analytics? As you may know, we're also title sponsors uh, in Dimension Data,
2: which will very soon have a new name, um, I think in a few days. Um, and. So the, the the profiling that we did on the riders previously for, for the ASO to to use as part of the machine learning models, and there we've used a similar methodology and, and set of models to you know, almost work on a you know you know I'm sure you guys have seen Moneyball, um, but work on a, a Moneyball model to select your new riders, um, which is going to be interesting because you know if, if you look at some of the, the teams within the, the Pro Tour, they have. I won't say an infinite amount of budget, but they have huge budgets. So the focus for for us has been to use the knowledge and the models, again, in cycling, but to help the team select the best riders to get the best outcome based on the races that are in the calendar for next year. So that's one of the things we've done. Um, If I look across the industry, though, I mean, in sports, there's the applications for this, uh, you know, for for machine learning and AI are, are massive. And... You know, I was reading an article a, a few days ago about a model that somebody, an AI model that they created. And you were sticking sensors on your body, and it was basically telling you the position. You know, so it's for weightlifters, and, and based on the angle and, and tilt and hue on the on on the sensors that you have stuck on yourself, it was then feeding back in real time, giving you performance and, and coaching tips to to help you lift better. Which is Unbelievable, but, but what that tells you is, you know, wherever these, these quantifiable elements and metrics are in, in sport, there's an opportunity to use these models to, to give performance tips and coaching tips. Um, I think there's more though. I mean, that's just the, the tip of the iceberg. You know, again, we, if we look at the back of the money ball sort of scenario, we can then use AI again once we've got those clean data sets, which is what we're getting through IoT technologies now. We are then able to apply those and create models that can give um, scouts the best information on on which person to pick in baseball, for example. So there's so many different angles and facets to to this whole thing. It's just, uh, from my perspective, it's a fascinating area to be to be working
0: in. Two, uh, two comments from me here. The uh, first one is that uh, I, it sounds like something that might actually be able to help me perfect my golf swing, finally. Um, the other, though, uh, and maybe this is a little more insidious, uh, although maybe insidious isn't the right word. It seems like, especially since there is a an apparent predictive ability that seems to have some validation in real life, it seems like that bookmakers and... Betters might be extremely interested in eventually adopting AI technology to assist, I mean, both on the betting side with predicting winners and also potentially on the odds making side with like real time odds adjustment during sporting events as things unfold.
2: Yeah, look, I, from the perspective of helping you with your golf, I'm not sure I can do that. (laughs) But but, but regarding the, the betting, there's been quite a lot of discussion around this in, in the different chats that we've had with, with media, and there seems to be, the, the magic number for, for, for the bookies is around 72%. If you can get above 72% in the predictions, um, then there seems to be an opening for, for that kind of technology. Now, as a business, that's not something we're we interested in or have been focused on at all. Um, but I think there's definitely potential there. And, and as this evolves over the next few years, which is, I mean, it's rapidly evolving now, you can see different players going into different sports and doing this kind of stuff. Um, you, you know, that those doors are going to start opening up. And, you know, I, I think I'm, I'm not fooling myself thinking that the, the bookies aren't playing around with this stuff already and using it already.
1: I know that there's some examination of AI or machine learning technologies in fantasy sports, in terms of helping to do things like pick draft picks or things like that. I don't know if there's such a thing as fantasy cycling, but I know that there's a uh, there is
2: there is yeah yeah so uh, I mean the the yeah so fantasy cycling on um on the sort on the tour de france this year. Um and there's a couple of hundred thousand people that were you know, a couple of hundred thousand punters that were 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 engaged with that. And and I think that will grow and there is definitely, you know, if if I look at the, the natural link up between the, the stuff that we've done around machine learning and, you know, creating those stage favourites and, and also, you know, the G C favorites, there's, there's a there's obviously a, a, a natural feed into that kind of stuff saying, you know, here's what our, our machine learning algorithms or models have picked, um, and, and, that can help guide people there, and, you know. So, interestingly enough, I don't I, I didn't mention this, but it's our, our GC prediction, which we ran at the beginning of, of the tour, actually picked Bernal, the winner. And, and, we were, we were all sitting there through the, through the whole tour, going, nah, it's never gonna happen, nah, 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 and then, then he won, it was just, I mean, that was mind-blowing <laughs> to be fair
1: Predicting, what you would normally see as unpredictable events is is yeah you know, it's it's one thing to predict a winner of a race based on a long set of data, but to pick up on a particular trend of data at a given moment, I would guess it's based on density of the riders and 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 changes in speed and things like that. But how that kind of ability to pick up on a series of seemingly unrelated events and then output that something is going to happen that's not something that uh humans can do very well i would think so that's that's an in- yeah, uh, it, sorry, it was, it, it's that ability to i mean it, it's it's it's, oh, it's it's pattern
2: matching isn't it it's it's, a, it's seeing that there's a pattern unfolding in in the peloton you know so it may be a, a rider that's moving or, or a team that's moving from the back of the peloton to the front of the peloton or you know, it's, it's it's understanding that movement. Is there any erratic movement, for um, example, that, that could trigger it? But it's definitely fascinating. I mean, from from t's perspective, the you know the, the practical usage of that in the races. You know, you can imagine if you're a commentator being able to somebody to, to, to turn a light on or, or you know ping a buzzer and say, you know what, something's going to happen is is kind of an amazing thing to have in, in your arsenal, you know, whilst reporting. So yeah. Is there looking forward to our second version of that next year?
1: So what other sport areas do you work in? Are you strictly in cycling or are you doing anything in other other sporting events?
2: So we've we've done a lot of cycling, but we've done triathlon, um we've done some marathon races, we've done some boat racing, um uh, we've, we've been looking at uh, motor racing, so we've we've doubled in, in various different sports. But it's a lot of it. So uh, you know, then I mentioned data was, was a very cycling-oriented company. There's a lot of cyclists in the company, so it's been a natural fit for us. Um, you know, as we look in, in the wider NTT, now there's there's been stuff that's you know there's been deals that have gone on with with um, basketball, for example, which has been you know, transmitting, um, live video. It's almost like holographic video in another place. Um, so there's been work around that, but it's not around AI. Um, uh, you know, I've seen that we we're doing stuff at, at NASCAR as well. Um, so, you know, the wider group's doing quite a lot and, you know, NTT is, is one of the sponsors of the 2020 Olympics. So there might be some cool stuff to, to come out there, which, um, you'll have to wait and see. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, we've not
0: been just, we haven't been, um, you know, limited to cycling. We, When other
2: opportunities have come up, we've, we've definitely engaged
0: with them. There's a battle happening right now for the world's most sensitive data, and cyber criminals are gaining ground. Their sophisticated attacks are scanning for the slightest cracks in the digital perimeter, an employee falling for a phishing email, a cloud application left up without a firewall. Or even a smart refrigerator using a default password. Once they get inside, it's only a matter of minutes before your data is encrypted, stolen, or erased entirely. At this point, for most organizations, it's game over. DarkTrace has changed that game for thousands of smart cities, international nonprofits, and Fortune 500 companies. With the first ever AI powered autonomous response technology, DarkTrace instantly neutralizes in progress cyber attacks that are already inside the enterprise. Containing the threat without interrupting your normal workflow, autonomous response is on guard 24/7 on weekends and on holidays, intelligently defending your data on your behalf. The reality is that the next automated attack will strike too fast for humans to mount a defense. But with Darktrace, the machine is fighting back. Find
1: out how on darktrace.com. So, have the data points changed? Uh, you started off with so you started off with basic. Lat long and and speed type data. Are you doing things like motion detection and things like that on on sensors or things like that to determine like the the angle the bike is canted at or things like that when it's in a turn or any other sort of uh, more fine grain data? Not a, not at the Tour de France and um, other you know other events we we've, we've
2: used other data sources. Um, I mean, if you look at the, the technology that's around cycling and that's growing around cycling There's there's quite a lot of off-the-shelf sensors that you can buy you know you can you can measure somebody's heart rate and how fast they're pedaling and how fast their wheels spinning and how fast they're going and you can get off the shelf you know you can even get off the shelf sensors that are giving you things like drag coefficient you know so how much wind resistance they have and if you start and and also ride a position so you can understand how they're sitting on on the bike and you start to take all these things together there's, there's some really interesting stuff that you can do um but what you find in, in in professional cycling is that people don't want to share that information live during an event because it could be used as a competitive advantage if it was live on TV, for example. All you would need is somebody from another team watching um, and you'd see their heart rate, you know, see so your rider's heart rate is super high and you'd know they're about to crack so you'd just tell your team over the radio, okay, don't break him. <laughs> <laughs> and, and, yeah, so it's kind of it kind of it's it's it's, it's a slow process I think. But we we did something recently where um, it was a joint innovation project project between NTT and Cisco, where we were supporting a guy called James McDonald, and he was he was attempting to beat the twenty four hour record in a velodrome. So he was going to ride around in circles for twenty four hours. And, and there, we, we we basically, you know, we wanted to be able to support him and his performance team, make the right decisions, you know, throughout the 24 hours, um, so that he would be as successful as he could be. So we, we you know, we, he he trains with um, his trainers. Um, they've been training and they've been, you know, really working him at a specific heart rate zone and a specific. Cadence zone, which is in how fast he's and power zone, and and they knew that if he sat at those particular numbers, he could sustain that speed for 24 hours in a velodrome, which would be enough to be the record. So we then we, we made this um, velodrome intelligent by equipping it with with network infrastructure and, and wireless and then all the data capture elements to capture data off his bike and then a 3D tracking system and then did some on-edge analysis that was um, basically giving all that information back live. So within a second, that information was back at trackside with his coach and his performance team, but also, um, you know, giving them information about how many calories he's burnt, so that they knew whether he needed to feed or not and giving information about the current record holder, I think it's Christoph Strauss, um, and I probably pronounced his name wrong. There, um, but how you know how in front or behind they were he, the, the James was to, to him, so that they could say, okay, you are you know you're in front, you can back off a little bit, or you know if you need to go and have a break, you'll, you'll you can do that. Unfortunately, James fell off. He, he it was so very very hot in this velodrome this day, and he tipped water on his head, um, and the water had gone on the track, and, and then about an hour later he slipped off on the water that he used to cool himself uh. down. And he went. Yeah, it was awful. He went. He went down for 20 minutes, and then big kudos to the guy. He he got back on his bike and rode for another five or six hours. But, you know, we could then see his his performance team had to make a decision, and you could see from the data that he wasn't going to make it. And, and it's like, do we want to do, do? Do we want to get him off the bike now, being as though he's fallen off, and, and you know he, he was injured. Or they want to just try and push it and he'll fail anyway. So they had to make a decision based on that data that he, they would, they would pull him off the bike. It was, I mean, there's a lot of people there from from both companies and James' family there and everybody's very emotionally invested in the whole thing. It was amazing experience. But yeah, I mean, it's, it's like you can use those different data points to then make decisions and, and help support events like that or people like that. It's, It's, it's kind of fascinating.
0: You've actually, you brought up something that I wanted to ask about here. We've spoken with a number of other folks in this special podcast series we're doing, all about different aspects of AI and machine learning. And we spoke yesterday to a couple of people about adversarial AI uh, and the concept of potentially using, uh, using machine learning algorithms or, or autonomous AI systems to perform, you know, security attacks on your own IT infrastructure to sort of train your operators, uh, you know, the, the concept of red teaming with AI. And it sounds like those concepts translate almost directly over into AI and sport with the idea of using machine learning algorithms potentially to uh, simulate opponents or simulate optimal opponents that you can then train yourself against. Is that something that you guys are doing? It's not something we're doing, but it's a, it's a great idea. <laughs> <laughs>
2: yeah, I'm just making a, Let me just make a note of that quick. Um, no, I mean that's that's a really good idea, and, and you just you know, like like I just said with the with the velodrome attempt. I mean, we were using real data to, to gauge performance against um, you know real data in a virtual way against a real rider. Um, I know we've we've done some. We we did a, a, a demo a while ago, which was, was a virtual race against the pro. So we've got pro's data, and then you could just race against that on a on smart trainer. Um, but We've never taken it any further into the field. But, you know, I don't see why that's not a, a way to enhance performance. Because that's your benchmark, isn't it, really? If you can do this well, you know, then... You you have the capability or the capacity to be a pro, so it's definitely. I mean, that that will for sure come through in in coaching applications.
0: Sure, or you you analyze a uh, you analyze your athlete's performance. Uh, and you, you train machine learning on him to generate an opponent that isn't a perfect opponent, but an opponent that is perhaps iterating a bit more towards perfection, and then the human iterates on the machine learning algorithm, the machine learning algorithm iterates on the human's performance, and and then we have the singularity, and then we're all machine slaves.
2: <laughs> well, uh, yeah, that, that's, if you've got those clean base to start with, you know, you understand the athlete's physiology and where their strengths and weaknesses are, You'd almost, I mean, it sounds cruel, doesn't it? You'd almost focus on their weaknesses to, to make them stronger in the areas that they're not strong. Um, sounds like some sort of torture to me.
1: But would <laughs> 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 be, be where we're going, for sure. <laughs> well, the, the same sort of predictive analytics that we're looking at here in terms of pre- being able to take the data and predict how someone will perform, these are the same sort of things that, say, Facebook uses to figure out what to put in front of you based on your previous clicks. I mean, it's not the same algorithms, but it's the same concept. Same principle.
2: Yeah, definitely same same principles, isn't it? Understanding. It's those it's, it's data points as, as, as well. I, I saw that program about um, all the Cambridge Analytica stuff, and, and I'd never realized that um, those guys have got 50 and 100 data points on each person, which is I've mind-boggling. Seen. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's unbelievable. And if you think, you've you know, that's with that amount of data points, they're able to predict, you know, what you would be interested in at a particular time. I mean, they, they they quote on on that that documentary around, you know, if you ever sat there, or is there, there's a there's a a teacher talking to a student saying, have you ever sat there, you know, been talking to your your family saying, you know, what we need to get a new mattress, and the next thing is a mattress advert that pops up on your Facebook, um, or on on Google or wherever it's you know one of the online advertisers, and And it's kind of like, well, are they listening to me or have they just got so many data points on me that they think that this is the time that I would need that, Um, which is kind of crazy, really.
0: Could be a a little bit of column A, a little bit of column B. (laughs) (laughs) Well,
2: who knows? I mean, I'm not close to that at all, but it's it's kind of amazing that if if that's what they've got, they've got so many data points that they're able to predict what you do in your life. I mean, that's crazy, isn't it? It's a whole other level.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Maybe, well, <laughs> maybe one day we'll have that in school. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, well, you bring up one more interesting point, um, and we've we've discussed it again with with the other folks that we've been talking to, and it's the you know the role of ethics in machine learning and AI. Um, although focusing purely here on um, on the role of machine learning in, in sports and AI in sports, there's less of a uh, an obvious ethical mandate. Well, that sounds weird now that I say it out loud. You don't have to worry about ethics as much when it's sports. But, I mean, you're operating essentially within sort of a very fixed area of operation, uh, and you don't necessarily have broader ethical implications of setting a a, a goal-seeking algorithm loose. You know, if you're deciding hugely important political things, you don't necessarily want your your goal-seeking algorithm to be unconstrained and to decide that the fastest way to get from point A to point B to its goal is to... You know, cut straight through and do some sort of horrifically unethical thing because it satisfies the goal. But that's that's less of potentially a concern when you're discussing optimizing athletic performance or predicting an an, an event's outcome. I would imagine.
2: Yeah, no, I think I I think you're right. I mean, the the ethical side is you've got a set of constraints to work with, and you've got the rules. They're very clearly defined. Um, You know, and people will always try and push the boundaries, but it's like what really. How far couldn't you push the boundaries with AI and machine learning in, in sports? It's, you know, I like your, you know, you, you know your, how fast can you get to the goal? But it's, it, if you have enough, it's having enough data points on the other people to be able to predict what they're going to do as well, isn't it? And I don't think that's we're anywhere near that at the moment.
1: How far off do you think we are from using the kind of data points you collect in sports right now for officiating?
2: Yeah, I don't think we're that far away from that. Um, but but I, what I will say is that, that a lot of sports uh, have different levels of maturity at the moment. Um, I mean, even even within cycling, if you look, there's there's events that have zero technology involved, and there's events that have got you know machine learning involved. Um, so there's there's quite a, a broad spectrum of, of maturity and, and how people use the information. Um, you know, if you look in in, in football, for example, I'm, I'm sure in American football as well, um there's quite a lot of data use in there. And then you've got players like catapult that are measuring people's movements around, you know, around the pitch, and also measuring acceler- accelerometers, you know, data, acceleration data. Um So they have quite a good understanding of actually what's going on there already. So, you know, how far are they away from being used to make official judgments? Or so probably not far at all. You know, I think that all comes down to the accuracy. So, so if we look at you know some of the events that we've done where we can do GPS tracking and we can get it down to ten centimeters, if, if you think about a, a, a bike race, I remember uh, I think three years ago when there was a photo finish and it involved one of the riders on our team, Eddie Osenhagen and and he was actually he lost the race by one pixel in the photo. So, if you imagine ten centimeters isn't really going to—it's not going to cut it. yet because it's not accurate enough. You, how do you how would you ever get down to that one pixel? And what isn't—I mean, how how much is that? It must be a millimeter or something, a couple of millimeters. It's nothing. So, I think if, if technology advances, you know, as it will do exponentially, then it's going to—it it will get to the point where you can you can do that.
0: That's fascinating. Although I can see potentially that. Uh, I mean, for both uh, for both European and American football, uh, if you don't have a referee to scream at anymore, that takes like two thirds of the fun out of the sport.
2: <laughs> yeah, I think there's, there's always going to need to be there's always going to need to be that that human element, um, <laughs> not not just to scream at, but, but to validate um, at least in the foreseeable future. It's the same with you know we can I've seen some of the technologies that are um, you know basically can analyze the the video and audio of of, of an event, um, and then can almost be a virtual reporter on that. Now technology's not there yet, but does that mean, you know, does that mean that well, when that capability comes through, we don't have any journalists anymore? that are reporting on it. I don't think it will, because you know, what kind of personalities and AI are going to have compared to you know the, the, the reporter that's been doing that job for twenty years
0: who. You know, people like not just because he's reporting it, but because of his personality. So there's that element to it, I think, as well. Yeah, absolutely. Sean has actually done some reporting on on algorithmically written uh, uh, stories, news stories, uh, and it's been
1: it's a fascinating experience. Yeah, we uh, got some interesting output. Yeah, there's not that, that kind of same filter, is there? Really,
2: <laughs> that a human would have.
1: So, where do you think this is going uh, for next year, as far as the Tour de France goes? Are you are you going to try and up the data points at all? Or are you sticking to the proven model so you can keep the a consistent data set? Well, look, I
2: mean, we'll the the, the data that we capture won't change, right? So our source data won't change. Um, we will we constantly strive to to improve the, the models that we have um, and, you know, tell help tell the story in the best way that we can. Um, the, the way that it works for us is... Um I'm going a long way around to tell you. You'll have to wait and see, by the way. But the, <laughs> but the way that it, that it works for us is, is that, you know, we, we leave the tour at the end of July, and then we kind of take August off, and then we basically come back into analyzing the experience for everybody so we get feedback from the general public, we get feedback from the ASO, from within the organization, from within our teams that have delivered us. Um, we then, you, you know, understand, try to take a holistic look at what's happening across the sports world in general, we create a roadmap and then we start executing on the, the new items in the roadmap. Um and there are things that are in there this year that might not be general public view, but the things that we've trialed for tour this year, you know, with that innovation that we have, we trial, it, is it working? Does the ASO see value in it? Does the general public see the value in it? And then we'll start rolling that out. Um, and it's sort of a, a few-year cycle to do that. It's the same that happened with machine learning, um, and some of those things will trickle through. But there's, there's more things that are coming, which is you know more around um, the fan experience and people that are at the event. How do we you know improve their experience? I mean, one of the other models that we we got is a, an ETA model. Um, so basically, it's the joke logs at the side of the road and he's sitting there with the mobile app and he's like, I'm waiting. because people sit there and wait all day for the race to come past? And then, boom, 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 boom. It's, you know, it's gone. Or <laughs> well, I missed it. I was, you know, getting a beer out of my camper or something. So we've created a model that will give them information, basically ping them five minutes before, you know, the riders get there so that they're ready and they're in the right position and they can watch the race go past. It's, it's, there's going to be things like that. But, um, yeah, the rest of it, you know, we haven't defined everything yet and we're working through that and then, you, you know
1: after Christmas for us it extremely busy for six months and then you know, well, looking forward to seeing what you can do with it
0: yeah we're uh we're sort of we're rounding the bend here we're just about out of time, but I wanted to ask um Tim before we close if there is anything um of particular interest or anything that's particularly cool that uh you wanted to talk about that we didn't get a chance to ask you about
2: um the areas that I'm really interested in is, is, you know, how do we, how do we catch uh, the, the maximum amount of, of, data from, you know, athletes, um, so that we can then use all this cool technology to, to understand what's going on. I suppose there is one, there's one cool thing that I've seen in, in the industry and it's not just, it's not just going to be around cycling. So we've seen some companies or a company in the UK that have been basically planning around bracing now, if, if I think about all the challenges that I see in, in all the different sports, it's like, you know, everybody wants to have the lightest, you want the lightest motorbike or the lightest bicycle or the lightest car. Because if you're racing, you don't want to add additional weight to it because it's a disadvantage for, for you compared to everybody else. There so is in this company that um, are printing graphene sensors and circuit boards into bicycle frames and into car. Panels, so they're kind of going around the side and going, okay. So you know, what? instead of adding additional technology into whatever it would be, they're making the technology the item, and it's something I'm just looking at with keen fascination because I think that's going to be a game changer. Because once you can do something like that, you know, your your data sets are going to grow massively because it's not a case of well, we just want to have one sensor on here for the weight, fact, we've since 20 sensors and now we've got additional information about stress and strength, for example um, and then you know that feeds back into multiple things. It feeds back into how me as a, a as a fan would watch an event and understand what's really going on from you know a car chassis, for example, or how much he's spending or twisting or getting information back like that. The, the performance and feeding back into people and manufacturing products so actually if we made this a little bit stiffer here we reckon we could eat a little bit more performance out of it
0: at a certain point it sounds almost like it might be circumventing rules that are in place to prevent you know like active technology inside of bikes and cars and stuff in races like this
2: yeah i know and then uci obviously again you can't use active aerodynamic technology in, in um in, in in a bike race but but as a cyclist, I'd be pretty keen to. Pretty keen to. Yeah. I, I mean, that's something to talk, talk about while I'm having a coffee on the local bike ride.
0: <laughs> okay, well, I think that just about wraps it uh, for us, Sean. If you don't have anything no, else.
1: I think I want to thank you, Tim, for joining us on this. This has been really interesting. Uh, look forward to seeing how the Olympics go and how the next Tour de France goes uh, as far as what you're able to bring to the table and. Uh, thanks again for your time on this no no you're
2: welcome thanks for for the invite it's been, been really interesting
1: ai has many other applications in sports but next time we'll be looking at another way of using artificial intelligence to track another sort of human behavior trying to spot insider threats in organizations information security before they can happen i hope you'll join us once again, this
0: episode was sponsored by Darktrace, the world's leader in AI cyber defense. With more than 3,000 organizations relying on its AI technology around the globe, Darktrace is transforming security from the inside out. Start your 30-day free trial by visiting darktrace.com. trial